Well, so grateful to have Diane on our team. And if you haven't met her, she is the smiling face in the lobby that you'll just want to get to know and connect with. She's a blessing to our team, a blessing to our church. Uh, her and her family have been here a long time, and we are grateful for them. You know, what she talks about this morning really points us very clearly uh, to where we're going with the message. Now, if you have a Bible with you, you can open that uh, as we go into God's Word to Mark chapter 6 this morning. That's where we're going to be. Mark chapter 6 as we continue this teaching series we're doing on the core values of Calvary. We, we've talked about these core values, these phrases, these things that if we would internalize, it would change the way we live and change the way we follow Jesus. And we've talked about four of those values so far. We'll talk about the fifth one this week, and that is the value that saved people serve people. That saved people serve people. And so this morning, what we're going to try to understand is what it means for us to be a people who have been rescued and saved by Jesus and then turn around and serve people in the same way that Christ served us. As our elders and leadership was putting together what we meant by this phrase, save people, serve people, this is the paragraph that was released as part of our 2030 vision. Our leadership said this, we see a church filled with disciples who utilize their spiritual gifts, abilities, passions, and experience to serve the world and build up the church. Just as Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, we will be a people for whom serving comes as natural as breathing. This will play out in both informal and everyday circumstances, as well as organized ministry programs on our campus, in our community, and around the world. For all of us, this begins with understanding our spiritual gifts hearts, passions, personality, and then leveraging those for the sake of the world. This is the heartbeat behind our leadership and our church and our elders of where we're going in our 2030 vision. This is what it means when we say that save people, serve people. And this morning, I want to just be abundantly clear from the very top of the sermon, where I'm going and what my objective is. I have two objectives this morning. If you are serving faithfully right now in our church, or in a ministry, in our community, if you have a place where God has called you to serve and you are engaged deeply in that, using your gifts and talents and abilities, if you are already serving, my hope is that this morning's sermon is an encouragement for you to keep going, to keep leaning in despite challenges, despite busyness, despite anything else, keep leaning in and serving the Lord. And then to those of you who, for whatever reason in this season, are not serving, Maybe you're new to the area, maybe you swapped churches, maybe you stepped out of a ministry, maybe you're stepping back into something, life has changed. Wherever you're at, if you're not serving this morning, my goal is that this sermon, that this service we're doing today would nudge you by the power of the Holy Spirit to you raising your hand, saying, put me in, coach, to be a part of what God is doing here in our church, in our community, and all around the world. My goal for you is that you would get deeply connected to some ministry in this church so that you too can serve the Lord. I want you to see that here in Mark chapter 6 as we look at this story of Jesus. It begins this way. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to them all they had done and taught. So let me set the scene for you here. Jesus goes onto the scene and begins to proclaim the kingdom of God. He's teaching and working miracles and serving people. And then what happens immediately is he calls these 12 disciples to himself. And these disciples join him in ministry, and Jesus begins to deploy these 12 disciples to do ministry with him. They're not merely tagalongs in Jesus' ministry, they're doing Jesus' ministry. It says he's reporting, or they're reporting all that they had done and taught. This is a busy ministry season. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us that if we were to record every single thing Jesus did, the world would not have enough space for all the books that would need to be written. In other words, this is a busy ministry season. Lots going on. This is not the disciples sitting by the lake skipping stones. This is not them having a barbecue and just kind of hanging out waiting for something to happen. It's busy 
And then what they're going to find in the midst of this busyness is yet another opportunity to serve. And what's true for these disciples is true for us as well. Let me start here this morning that opportunities to serve usually come in busy seasons. Opportunities for you to serve the Lord and to serve people around you don't usually come when you have nothing else going on. Don't you notice that? Don't you tend to notice that opportunities for you to step in and to serve and to help others usually happen when you're at your most busy? And this is true for the disciples. It's true for many of you. And I think for many of us, we go, I'm busy right now. I can't serve. I can't be part of that ministry. I can't go on that trip. I can't be part of that team. I couldn't possibly do that because I'm busy right now. But here's my observation, and I think you'll agree that this is true, that waiting to serve until life is free of challenges results in never serving. It's the people I've talked to who step out of a service opportunity. They were serving deeply with the church. They said, I need a break. Said, I understand. They said, life's gotten crazy. I said, I totally understand. And so the next month I check in, hey, where are you going to be serving? We're not really sure yet. The next quarter I check in, where are you going to be serving? A year later I check in, 15 years later I still check in with them. And life's just really busy. See, if you wait until there's no obstacles, no challenges, if you wait until you have infinite time on your hands, you will never serve. See, the challenge for each of us is to recognize that we are called to serve even in the midst of busy seasons of our life. Now, that's not to say you will serve in every season of your life in the same way. You will look at the season of life you're in and decide, I still am called to serve. It's just going to change how I serve. Like I put it this way, that your season of life may change the method of your service, but never your mandate to serve. So the season of life you're in will change the method of how you choose to serve. For example, uh, years ago, I was the high school pastor here. For many years, I was the high school pastor here. That was the place that I was to serve. It was the method of my service. Now, I still speak to high school ministry occasionally. I'll pop in, I'll do some things, but I'm no longer the high school pastor here at Calvary. My method has changed, but the mandate to serve has not changed. I think of my wife, Danny. My wife, Danny, used to be deeply involved in high school ministry with me. She led groups and she went on trips. She was part of everything we did in high school ministry. And then we had our first baby in 2017. And that changed things for her. She was no longer able to serve in the same way. And the attention she once put on high school students was now put on a little baby girl that had come in to our house. See, the mandate for my wife to serve had not changed, but the method of her service had. You think of a retiree and maybe you have time on your hand or you think of someone who's maybe a single mom of a couple kids and you have less time on your hand. And maybe you have less time than a 25-year-old single person who doesn't have a lot of commitments right now. Each season of life, each circumstance is going to be different. I'm not here to say everyone has to serve in the exact same way. But I am here to say that whatever your season, whatever's going on in your life, whatever challenges you have, whatever busyness is part of your schedule, The mandate for you to serve has not changed. Jesus calls you to be someone who serves because save people, serve people. Go on this way in verse 31. It says, then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them were leaving and recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So listen, here's the moment. They're serving, they're doing ministry, and they're tired and haven't eaten, so they're hungry. They might even be hangry. Like, I don't know what's going on here. I just know this is not a great moment for them. So they get away, and Jesus says, hey, why don't you come this way? But as they're trying to slip away, everyone notices and gets after them. And then here's what it says in verse 34. It says, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. And no doubt, the disciples saw that large crowd too. 
Now, if it's anything like me and I've been serving, I've been giving of myself, I've been, I'm right at the end of my rope and I see a large crowd, part of me is not going to be filled with excitement. There's going to be part of me that's like, get away, keep running. But I want you to see how Jesus responds in verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Jesus sees this large crowd that comes at an inconvenient and busy time. And rather than being filled with rage and anger, rather than being filled with disappointment and resentment, Jesus sees them and he is filled with compassion. He sees these people and rather than saying, these people are ruining my plans, he's instead filled with compassion. Now, if you know this story, you'll know this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And you might think that Jesus sees this crowd and has compassion on them because they're hungry and they don't have enough food. And I believe Jesus cares for our physical needs, our material needs, our well-being. But I want you to notice up here in this scripture that it doesn't say he had compassion on them because they were hungry. It doesn't say he had compassion because they didn't have enough food. It says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they were not spiritually right with God. Their heart wasn't in the right place. There was something wrong with their spiritual life, their inner life, and their relationship before God. And I think this is an important observation we need to make about Jesus' compassion for a group, not just that is physically hungry, although they are, but that is spiritually hungry as well. Uh, I've put it this way before, I want to put it this way this morning, that I think when it comes to material poverty, most Christians have compassion. When we see a story or we see a picture of someone living in a country somewhere and they've got six children living in a small shack with a dirt floor, our hearts break with compassion. When we see people who don't have the basic necessities of life, our hearts break with compassion. When it comes to physical and material and financial poverty, I think most of us are led with compassion. But then here's somewhere that it's got it twisted. That I think when it comes to spiritual poverty, many Christians have contempt. So physical poverty, material poverty, we feel compassion. But then when we see people on the news or on our social media or in this world who are living as if Jesus is not Lord, who are rebelling against God and his law, who are filled with hatred toward Christians and their Christ, when we see people like that, our hearts are not filled with compassion. They're filled with contempt oftentimes. We look down on people. We criticize. We judge people. But I want to remind you of what Jesus did. When Jesus sees this crowd who's like sheep without a shepherd, their hearts are not right before the Lord, he's not filled with contempt. He's filled with compassion. I think if we're going to serve like Jesus served and be a saved people who serve people, we must be a people who are first filled with compassion for those whose hearts and lives are not right before God. Not filled with contempt, filled with compassion. Let me put it for you this way. We have a, middle, we have a ministry here uh, in our church called Middle School Ministry. And we love middle school ministry. Uh, and I pulled up a photo. I was sent this photo of middle school ministry this week. And here's a few middle school students here at our church. Now, I'll say before I start speaking anymore, I do not know any of the middle school students in this photo. I know their leaders, Sabrina, and I know Megan there, and they're remarkable, remarkable leaders. So this is no comment on anyone in this photo. What this is, though, is a reminder for you. And I have a simple question for you this morning. Do you remember what middle school was like? Do you remember what you thought in middle school? Do you remember what you said when you were in middle school? Do you remember what you thought was okay when you were in middle school? Do you remember what you thought was cool when you were in middle school? Do you remember how you treated people? Do you remember how you treated your parents when you were in middle school? Do you remember middle school? 
You remember middle school in this weird, awkward time of life where hormones are flying everywhere and we make decisions and think things and believe things that we have no business believing. And middle school students, by the very definition of the season of life they're in, 11, 12, and 13 years old, are messy. It's complicated. Now here's what I know. There's two different ways to approach messy, complicated middle school students. Option number one is contempt. And it is looking at an 11, 12, 13-year-old who is acting like an 11, 12, and 13-year-old and being filled with rage. Stop doing that. Stop saying that. Stop dressing like that. Stop behaving like that. I don't even know what that was, but stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it, right? There is kind of a contempt and a rage and an anger we can have toward middle school students. There is a contempt and rage and anger we can have toward them in their season of life. But you know what's amazing about our middle school ministry and the leadership there? When they look at middle school students, they're not filled with contempt, they're filled with compassion. Because they remember. They remember what it was like to be in middle school. They see them like Jesus saw them, like sheep without a shepherd. And their desire and their goal is to shepherd their hearts because their hearts and lives aren't right before God. And so they want to shepherd them into that. See, that's where compassion starts. That's where service starts. It starts with looking at people and saying, they're sheep without a shepherd, but I was once a sheep without a shepherd. I was once someone whose heart and mind and life was not right before God. See, Christian service begins with the recognition that Christ first served us. That's where Christian service begins. It begins with this recognition, Jesus served me, and therefore I'm going to turn around and serve someone else. That's why we say that saved people serve people, because it starts with Christ and his service to us. It says that Jesus looked at the crowd, and Jesus looked at you with compassion, because you are sheep without a shepherd. He goes on in verse 35, he says, By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So the disciples come up to Jesus and they see the crowd, and you got to imagine this contrast here. Jesus sees this crowd and his heart shatters. He's filled with compassion. There's this inner life of Jesus where compassion is welling up on him. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And his disciples are in like logistics mode. They're like, too many people, not enough food. We got to get them out of here, Jesus. Send them away. So you got to imagine the disciples walking up to Jesus. He's feeling overflowing with compassion. They're like, Jesus, we got an idea. Let's just kick them all out of here. Then we won't have any more problems. <laughs> and this is a moment. This is a moment where the disciples miss it. And we often do too. And what the disciples missed in this moment is there's thousands of people, maybe 10, 20,000 people total who are here, and they look at these people and they think these people are a problem. These people are things we need to take care of. But I need to remind us this morning what Jesus is going to teach his disciples, and it's this simple point, that people are not obstacles. People are not obstacles. They're not problems. They're not problems we manage. They're not things we solve. They're not things that we just kind of control so we can get out of our face and get out of our way. People are not obstacles. Listen to me, Calvary. People are the point. They're the point. The whole point of the Christian life is to love people and to love God. The whole point is people. The point isn't to send people away, to push people out, to prevent people from getting in our way, but rather to recognize the people that God has put in our path. People are not obstacles. People are are the point. This plays out every day here at Calvary. This is playing out right now in this very moment. I want to highlight three of those ministries for you. I want to talk about our early childhood ministry. You'll see a picture early childhood ministry here. Now, early childhood ministry has the best potential to make you go, oh, that is so cute. And here's what I want you to know as a parent of three children who have gone through early childhood and are still in that ministry. I want you to know that they are indeed cute 50% of the time. 
The other 50% of the time, anyone who has children or grandchildren will know. They are messy, they're whiny, they're demanding. Sometimes they have poopy, messy diapers. Sometimes they have issues going on in their body. They're all over the place. It's adorable and difficult and all of those things. And you can imagine that we could be the church that says, hey, we don't want them here. Keep your kids at home, get a babysitter. Keep them away, they're kind of a mess, they're kind of a bother. It takes a lot of resources to take care of those kids. But you know what's so beautiful about early, early childhood ministry? They look at these little people and say, these people are not obstacles, they're the point. They're the point. And before you think early childhood, zero to four ministry here is just babysitting services. From the very first time babies come in, they're being prayed over. They're being taught about Jesus. The other day I was bringing my son Noah, who's three years old, out of early childhood, holding his hand, walking to the car, and I asked him a question. I said, son, what'd you learn about in early childhood today? As the teaching pastor here, I was doing some investigation of our theology. He looks up at me and says, dad, I learned about God and Jesus. Nailed it! Yes! That is exactly what I want to hear. Why? Because our early childhood ministry looks at the littlest of kids and says, you are not an obstacle, you're not a problem, you are the point. And we want to point you to Jesus. Let me show you our special abilities ministry here. Special abilities ministry is a massive part of our church, a huge thing that we're so excited about, something we've so invested in because we believe as a church. Years ago, we called it special needs ministry, and we still believe there are some needs we can help meet for folks. But we realize that actually what it is when we're talking about special abilities is that the folks who come into our church are not just sort of people we welcome, but we kind of hold off. They're part of us. They're part of our church. Their spiritual gifts and their passions and their abilities help build up the church just like yours and just like mine. We don't look at folks and say, that's a bother, that's a problem, that's too complicated for us. We want to be a church that says, you're welcome here, because people are not obstacles, people are the point. Let me talk to you about our care ministry. Our care ministry welcomes people in, welcomes people in in kind of minor moments where maybe they're going through something small or they're going through a small procedure, all the way up to huge things in their life massive procedures in their body or huge things going on in their marriage or with their kids, whether it's funerals or weddings or anything in between, our care ministry cares for people. And their posture is not, well, let's keep the complicated stories away and just deal with the easy ones. Their posture is and always has been. How can we welcome them? How can we say yes? How can we pray for you? How can we provide for you? Why? Because people are not obstacles. People are not the problem. People are the point. Listen, I want you to know this, that our church's mission is to serve people, not to send them away. That's the mission of Calvary. The mission is that we would serve people, that we would welcome people, that we would say, come with your most complicated problems, come with your life, come with everything that's going on, come with your needs, and we're going to serve you in the name of Jesus. Now, if that is the hope and the purpose and the goal for our church, that people would come in so we can serve them, the little bit of a problem that comes up is that a lot of people take us up on that. So people show up, and they show up with their lives and their children and their families and their complications and their stories and their needs and everything else. And that's not just a few people. It's hundreds and even thousands of people over the course of the year. So you might ask this question, if thousands of people are showing up with needs and we're not sending them away, but we're serving them, how in the world are we going to serve that many people? And the answer can't possibly just be the paid staff here. There's wonderful staff members here, but they'll be completely overwhelmed. The answer is that God has called us to serve, all of us to serve. The only way we can be a church that welcomes people saying we want to serve you rather than send you away is if all of us use our spiritual gifts, time, passion, abilities, everything we have to serve people as they come in. Who is supposed to serve this massive wave of people who are coming in? Easy answer, saved people. Why? Because saved people serve people. And that's what we do here at Calvary. 
At Calvary, we intend to and believe that God is calling us to be a church that welcomes people in every season, every stage, every circumstance in life. And our job from there is to serve them in the name of Jesus. And every single one of us has a role. Verse 37 says this, Jesus answered, answers you, give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now this is not at all what the disciples were anticipating or expecting. They came to Jesus with a logistics problem. They said, there's too many people. It's getting late. This is a reasonable, rational thing to do. Rational is not a word, but it's that. This is a reasonable thing to do. Send them away. Get rid of them. And Jesus turns around and says the last thing they expected. He says, you give them something to eat. They were not expecting that. They were not ready for that. They were not anticipating Jesus to do that. He looks them square in the eye and says, go ahead, feed them. And in that moment, Jesus is treating his disciples not as people who are just kind of hanging out with him, not just as his friends. He is, te- he is treating them like servants. Like actually look at the text. Notice he doesn't say, what if we thought about potentially a way for us to feed them together? He doesn't say that. He says, you give them something to eat. Why? Because Jesus looks at his disciples then and he looks at his disciples now and he says, your job is to be a servant. Let me read out of Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Says Jesus called them together and said, You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Like in other words, for the rest of the world, people show how strong they are, how mighty they are. They love their titles, they love their authority, they love their influence. He says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Verse 45 For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, if we're going to be a people and a church who lives and loves like Jesus, we need to live and love like the Jesus who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. That service is right at the core, right at the heart of what it means to live and love like Jesus. And not just that we check the box and that we do some things. What Jesus is actually after is that we have the heart of a servant, the posture of a servant. His ideal is that we would be the type of people for whom serving is as natural as breathing because we have the heart of a servant. You might ask the question, okay, how do I know I have the heart of a servant? And I think there's a simple rubric for this. The rubric is this, that you'll know you have the heart of a servant by how you react when you're treated like one. You will know you have the heart of a servant by how you react when you are treated like a servant. Like it went like this for me this summer. I was asked to speak at a camp this summer, and so I went up and was the preacher for the camp all week, and uh, my family comes up for a little bit of it, and then they slip out, and so uh, one morning, I'm just by myself, I, I go to breakfast, I'm sitting down at breakfast, and having my breakfast, there's a family sitting next to me, and then there's a little girl, maybe five, six, seven years old, and she grabs her orange juice, and she goes to take a sip, and she does what little five, six, seven-year-old girls do, she drops her orange juice all over the floor. Now, I want you to know I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this has happened four times in my household this morning already, okay? This is, this is not new to me. And so I see this and just instinctually, I'm like, well, I know what to do here. I grab the napkins on the table and I go to help the family clean up the orange juice. And so I'm down on the ground and I'm wiping up orange juice and these napkins. And then very quickly, I just glance around and realize that I'm not helping anyone do anything. I'm cleaning up the orange juice all by myself which was a weird experience. So I'm cleaning up this orange juice and I've got it and then I've got all these napkins soaked through with orange juice. And then what I do is I stand up. I stand up and I look to the table, to the family, and they're just continuing to eat their breakfast. 
They don't look over at me. They don't glance at me. There's certainly no thank yous. There's certainly not, oh, you're the camp speaker. You're cleaning up our oil. That was so kind of you. They just continue to eat their breakfast like I do not exist. And so I'm standing there. My hands are now soaked in orange juice through these napkins. And so I walk over to the trash can. I throw away the napkins in the trash can. And then I turn and I walk out of the dining hall. And I am walking back to my cabinet. I am fuming. I am angry. I'm like, how could they do that? They didn't even help. They didn't even recognize. They just kept eating their breakfast like I didn't even exist. Who do they think they are? I couldn't come here to be like that orange juice wiper upper. I came here to preach. And they don't even appreciate the fact that I was preaching. And I'm steaming and I'm filled with resentment and entitlement and self-centeredness. And I'm walking back. And then the Holy Spirit of God whispers to me in that exact moment, And anytime you're walking in entitlement and self-centeredness and resentment, this ick inside of you and the Holy Spirit whispers to you, get ready. And here's basically what I heard from the Holy Spirit. Brian, are you serving because you love recognition or are you serving because you love me? My answer in that moment is I was serving because I loved recognition. In that moment, I so badly wanted to be recognized. Oh, that was so so great. Oh, that was so wonderful of you to do. Do you see how quickly our hearts can go from I'm serving because I have the heart of a servant, I'm serving because Jesus has made me like him, I'm serving because of that, into this need for recognition, this need for glory, this need for approval, this need for love, this need for people to look and say, oh, look at them, look at how wonderfully this person is serving. So what I need us to understand is that Jesus has called us to serve. But he hasn't just called us to do the things. He's called us to have the heart of a servant, to have the same heart that he had, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It goes on this way in verse 37. It says, they said to him, that would take more than a year and a half's wages or half a year's wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So in other words, his disciples are looking around and they're like counting up the money. They're going, wait, hold on. You want us to feed them? Excuse me? That's going to take half a year's wages. That's tens of thousands of dollars. That's whatever this is. That's incredible. How much money are you talking, Jesus? They're, 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 they're flabbergasted. They can't believe that Jesus would ask them to feed these people. They can't actually believe that Jesus is asking them to serve in this way. But here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember how this story actually begun. The story began with Jesus, or his disciples, coming back to Jesus, telling them all that they had done and all that they had taught. Like in other words, the story begins with the disciples recognizing that Jesus has done miracle after miracle after miracle. He's included them. They're walking in the power of God. They've seen God show up. And in this moment, Jesus says, you feed them. And it never occurs to them that God might show up supernaturally. It never even occurs to them. It never even crosses their mind that God might use them to do something miraculous in someone else's life. Because here's what I'm convinced of. Jesus didn't need them to do this. Jesus could have snapped his fingers. Manna could have fallen from heaven like in the Old Testament. But Jesus is trying to teach them something. And it's something we need to learn as well. That if we want to see God show up in our lives and do supernatural things in and through our lives, if we want to see God change people, we need to know this basic principle. That God does his best work through the willing. God does his best work through the willing. To the people who throw up their hand and say, put me in, coach. I might not be the smartest, I might not be the most talented, I might not be the most qualified, I might not be the most anything, but God does his best work through the willing, through people who are willing to show up. 
That's how God changes the world. Let me tell you a story about a young man in our church, and his name is Andrew Demansky. I'm going to put his picture on the screen here. You'll see him on the bottom right. He's kneeling down in the blue shirt there. Fifteen years ago, Andrew began leading a small group here at Calvary uh, with J.D. Lasky, a small group co-leader. For 14 years, he led a small group here at Calvary with high school boys. For 14 years, we, we did a little bit of math, and our best guess is over 200 young men went through that group over those 14 years. Many of them are married, they have kids of their own, they're in ministry, they're doing incredible things in this world. When it comes to the history of high school ministry at this church, Andrew Demansky has impacted as much as any other person. What one of the people God has used in incredible ways to impact high school students and ultimately the world through this church. Now, if I were to bring Andrew up on stage right now, which would be his least favorite thing in the world, he would end me if I did that. But it, let's say I could get him up here and, and I asked him, Andrew, how did you have such a profound impact upon these high school students? Is it because you're like a foremost expert in adolescent development and teenagers? And I think he'd say, I don't think so. And I'd ask, okay, well, well, is it because you are like the best youth worker that has ever existed? You just have like the spirit of God on you to be the greatest thing that's ever happened. And he'd go, no, I definitely don't think so. I'd be like, oh, maybe it's because you went to seminary and you are the deepest theologian at our church. You know all the answers to all the theological questions. And in 14 years, a kid never stumped you. And I think he'd say, that's definitely not true. And I think if I pushed and I pushed and I pushed, Andrew would eventually tell me this. I don't know how it happened. All I knew is I showed up week after week, month after month, year after year, for 14 years, and God used Andrew because Andrew showed up. He showed up. He said, put me in, coach. And he faithfully served high school students at this church for 14 years. That's how God does his work. That's what God wanted his, that's what Jesus wanted his disciples in that moment to know. If you're just willing, if you show up, if you say, I'm trusting you, God, I'm going to step into this. I'm going to do incredible things through your life. That's how God always works. Bob Goff says this, God often uses the least qualified, most available people to get things done. It goes on this way in verse 38. It says, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Five loaves of bread, two fish, 10, 20,000 people. We've got an arithmetic problem here, Right? And so what really happens here, we know from the Gospel of John, is this little boy basically offered his lunchbox and said, here's my lunchbox. I don't know what you can do with it, Jesus. I know it probably won't feed everyone here. I probably won't even make a difference in this world, but I'm going to offer it up to you. And if you don't know how the story ends, I'm going to spoil it for you now. Jesus feeds all 5,000 5, men and really 20,000 people maybe with this lunchbox. That's how this goes. And it is a beautiful picture and representation for us of what happens when we offer our small acts of service before the Lord. So here's what I want you to know. In God's kingdom, our small acts of service don't have a predictable linear impact. Meaning when I would talk about Andrew Demansky serving high school students and those 200 or so students who went through that group, it's not that he served 200 students, so 200 lives were changed. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. How it works in God's kingdom is that Andrew served 200 people, and I might not know this until glory, but I would be willing to bet that he impacted over 2 million people through how God uses that. See, this is how it works. It's not a linear, predictable impact. In God's kingdom, our small acts of service have an unpredictable, exponential impact. That's how God changes the world. God changes the world through us offering our little service, through showing up, through being faithful, and he impacts that beyond anything we could ask or imagine. 
I'll show you this painting, this picture here of the little boy. He walks up to Jesus. You got to imagine. He goes, I don't know if this will help. I know it's not a lot, but it's all I got. So do you think that would help? Do you think this little bit would help? And through Jesus' power and through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that is transformed into enough for 15,000 people to eat. I want you to imagine something that's going on right now just across the way there in our elementary ministry. Someone's hanging out with a kindergartner right now, with a third grader. And you go, how's this going to help? You're just teaching a third grader some Bible story. You're coloring with them. You're singing with them. You're playing games. You're doing crafts. How could that possibly help? But in God's economy, this is what changes the world. Little acts of service, little moments of saying, Lord, I'm going to give my offering of this service to care about this one kid today. We have a ministry here of our welcome and our connection team, all the way from the parking lot to the lobby to the doors here with our ushers. You see a smiling face walking in. You go, how does me smiling and saying, hello, welcome to church, do anything? Well, who knows what that does to the person who's been away for church for 15 years, shows up thinking everyone's going to boo them and send them out of the building, or the building itself will just collapse in, and suddenly they see that smiling face. That's how God changes the world, through little acts of faithfulness. I'll show you our worship team here. You go, all I do is play an instrument. How could that really help? They must be so talented up here. They probably don't need someone like me. You're so wrong. We would love someone like you because God takes the willing people who throw up their hand and say, put me in, coach. That's how God changes the world. We would love to plug you in in one of the ministries of our church. We would love to help you grow as a musician. Why? Because when we offer our little acts of service, God changes things. You think of someone who goes on a short-term trip to Africa and they hand a plate of food to a little kid. You go, how's that actually helping? Surely someone else could have handed a plate of food to a kid. You have no idea what God will do through that, through the little acts of service willingly offered before the Lord. This is how God changes the world. This is how serving changes the world. It's what Jesus says when he says this in Mark 4. He says, and what shall we say of the kingdom of God? What is it like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Jesus goes, what's the kingdom of God like? He goes, offer me a few fish and a few loaves and I'll feed thousands. Offer me a little bit of service. Offer me a little bit of what you have, all you have, and I will do something exponentially more than all you could ask or imagine. Verse 39 says this. It says, Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So I love this part of the story. Jesus tells his disciples, they're like, oh, we need to get these people out of there. And remember, Jesus is in charge. He goes, uh, you serve them. You feed them. He's telling his disciples what to do, but then Jesus looks at thousands of people and goes, hey, I'm in charge. Everyone, sit down in groups on the grass. And you know what everyone does? They do exactly that. You know why? Because Jesus is in charge. He's king. He's Lord. And what he says goes. And the reason we serve is because Jesus tells us to serve. He's not making it a suggestion. He's not saying it's a nice idea. He's not saying if you have time and if you feel up to it, would you please consider possibly someday serving someone? No, Jesus tells us what to do because Jesus is king, he's Lord, he's in charge. And Jesus tells us what to do because this is how spiritual growth actually happens. I continue to share this beautiful formula for spiritual growth. It's brilliant. We'll write a book on it someday. It's so mind-bending. The two-step formula to spiritual growth. We simply said this. You listen to God, and you do what he says. That's it. That's how you grow. You're like, that's not complicated enough. I need a whole essay on it. No, you don't. You listen to God, you do what he says. God tells you to do something, you do it. 
That's how spiritual growth happens. Because listen, insight doesn't cause spiritual growth. If you sit in a service and you go, oh man, Pastor Sean's sermon, Pastor Brian's sermon, it was so wonderful. I have pages and pages of notes. I I circled things in my Bible. I highlighted, I underlined them. Look at my notes. And I go, that's amazing. I love your notes. What are you going to do in response to it? And you go, not not really anything. Um, There's no growth there. That's not how you grow. You don't get to say, God, look at my notes. Look at my insight. Look at the things I read about. Look at the things I think about. No, insight doesn't cause spiritual growth. Obedience does. Obedience does. We grow not when we think about new things or learn more information. We grow when we obey what God told us to do. And the simple, clear command of Jesus in Scripture is that if you are a Christian, you are called, commanded to serve. He compels you to serve. He says to serve. That's going to look like different things for different people in different seasons in different ministries. And I understand all of that, but all of us are called to serve. So here's the question I've been asking all weekend and the question I want to sit heavy on your heart. Here it is simply. Is God pleased with the ways I'm currently serving? Is God pleased? I'm not asking, is Pastor Brian pleased? Is Pastor Sean pleased? I'm not asking, is someone out there pleased? And hear me on this. I'm not asking, are you pleased with the way you're serving? Because you might be pleased, you might feel great about the way you're serving, but the question isn't how do you feel, it's how does God feel about the way you're serving? And for some of you, I want to identify, the answer is that God is deeply pleased with the way you're serving. Like I'm here this morning to say that some of you have leaned in, you're serving, you're part of it, you're using your gifts and time and ability for the season of life you're in, you're all in and I believe God is pleased. Listen to me when I say the goal is not just everyone does a little more and we just kind of keep pushing forever. At some point you go, I think God is pleased with what I'm offering him right now because I'm giving him my best. But for others of you, the answer to this question might actually be that you don't think God is pleased with how you're serving. Maybe you used to be serving, but you stepped out and you never really got back in. Maybe you switched churches or moved to a new area and you just never got connected. Maybe you've been doing other things in other places and life has been busy and you've just kind of been saying that and pushing off serving. I don't know what the story is. Maybe you legitimately can't serve in this season for some reason and your service has to be limited to something maybe at home or with someone who's ailing or with children. I I get there's a million circumstances. Again, you don't owe me an answer, but I believe God deserves an answer from you. And is God pleased with the way I'm serving? And if the answer to that question for you is no, we have an incredible next step and opportunity for you to take. Right after the service, we have our Connect and Serve Volunteer Fair right out in the lobby. This is an opportunity for you to walk out there. Many of you saw this on the way in. You can talk to someone. You can get some information. You're not signing up forever. You're not committing your life. You're not signing a contract that you're forever going to be part of it. You're simply approaching some tables and saying, hey, listen, I feel like God's called me to serve. I want to step into this. Can you tell me more about this ministry? I want to encourage you to join us in the volunteer fair. If you go, you know what? Now's the time. Because for some of you, you've been here a while. I met someone after the 9 a.m. service who said, I've been here a while. I've been serving at the schools and other places, but you know, I just haven't been serving at my church. And now's the time. She went over to a table. She signed up. She filled out a card. That's exactly what I want some of you to do. If you're listening online right now, there will be opportunities online for you to connect with us. If you can't find that, just send us an email. Let us know somehow uh, that you're interested in serving. We'd love to do that. But here's the invitation for all of us to sincerely wrestle with the question, is God pleased with the way I'm serving right now. I hope you wrestle with that question today. Here's how the story ends. So so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. 
He also divided the two fish among them all. They were all, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now again, I want to remind us this question I asked earlier. Why doesn't Jesus just snap his fingers and have bread rain down from heaven? In the Exodus story, this happens. God provides for his people from heaven. Why doesn't God just do that? And the answer is because I think God is trying to train his people to be the type of people who will serve. Again, not just that we would serve, but that we would have a heart of a servant. And the consistent thread all throughout scriptures is simply this, that God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. I actually think one of the most beautiful things about serving is simply this, God doesn't need you at all. God doesn't need me at all. God doesn't need Pastor Sean or Scott Oatley or any of our worship leaders. God, God doesn't need anyone but he invites us to partner with him in his mission to change the world. This is the beautiful thing about our God. He invites us into something beautiful, and here's how he does it. He doesn't ask us to be the most talented, the most grand, the most smart, the most Bible-educated. I want you to know that God does his greatest work through simple acts of service and faith. Simple acts offered before him. You serve with a child. You're part of a greeting team. You're part of a worship team. You go on a trip. You serve somewhere in this church through simple acts of service and faith. That's how God changes the world. You know, I want you to know you actually see this play out all the time. These small things that grow into something big if you live right here in the Canal Valley. Say I live right next door here in a city called Thousand Oaks. Many of you do. And all over Thousand Oaks, you will see, of course, oak trees. You'll see them everywhere. In fact, Thousand Oaks counts from time to time to make sure they can still technically be called Thousand Oaks, and they can. They have uh, beat the threshold there. But here's what you know about oak trees. None of these dropped out of the sky. They didn't just appear randomly. They didn't just pop into existence. Every single oak tree you see as you drive home today, as you're in your neighborhoods, every single oak tree started the same way. It started with an acorn, a tiny little acorn that grows into an oak tree, an acorn the paper of record here in our area, whether you are asking for it or not. The acorn, this tiny little acorn that grows into something massive, something so far beyond this little thing you can fit in your hand, something that takes over an entire neighborhood, takes over, starts with this tiny little acorn. In fact, to get your minds around this, I wanna show you a little video. A little video of how an acorn grows into an oak tree. As you watch this, I want you to remember what God does through tiny little acts of service and faith where you say yes to him. Put me in, coach, I wanna serve. Take a look at this video.
Jesus says this. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? With what shall I compare it to? He says, it's like the smallest of seeds, a mustard seed. If I could put it this way, it's like an acorn. It's planted in the ground. It's a small little thing offered up, and yet it becomes this massive thing that brings shade and life to the entire world. What is it like when you offer your small bits of service, when you offer your little acts of service, when by faith and by courage you step out and say, put me in, coach, I want to serve. Help me to serve. God, give me clarity on where I serve. What happens? God takes your small acts of service and he uses it immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. Listen, I want you to know as we close today that God can do and will do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine through the faithful believer who chooses to serve, who says, yes, put me in, coach. So if you're serving, continue to serve and know that your small acts of service have never once been wasted in the kingdom of God. God has done immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. And if right now you find yourself in a season where the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, convicting it this morning, may I invite you to join us in what God is doing. See, this morning is not about guilt. It's not about shame. It's not about you feeling bad. It is an invitation for God to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. When you say yes, put me in, coach. I want to show up. I am willing. Join us at the volunteer fair. Talk to someone at the tables. Lean in. Be a part of what God's doing. Because that's how God changes the world when saved people serve people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this morning. Thank you for life and breath and thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would be a church that serves, that loves, that invests our time and our talent and our ability and everything we have to serve this church, to build it up and to bless the world. And Father, I pray for those who are feeling that nudge from the Holy Spirit right now. God, don't allow them to leave this place today without throwing their hand up and saying, put me in coach. God, I want to be a part of it. So God, would you use the willing? Would you use those who are available? Would you use those who want to lean in today to great effect? We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.